we are in a series called Hashtag Blessed or Just Blessed. Um, and I want this morning, I want you to listen and pay attention to the message as we always hope that you will. But if you missed last week's message, we want you to go online and listen to the podcast. Um, you can always catch up online to the, to the message series. Do you guys remember ever walking into a class when you were in high school or maybe college and you go to sit down and you sit down next to your friend and your friend says this, hey, are you ready for the test today? And you go, what test? Because <laughs> it was the weekend and you had fun and you did whatever you did and you didn't show up when, you know, you didn't study when you should have, you were doing other things. Well, that is the title of today's message. The title is, what test? Um, survey question. Let's ask this. How many of you get paid once a month? Anybody? Okay. How many of you get paid bi-weekly or bi-monthly? How many of you get paid weekly? Okay. How many of you, regardless of when you get paid, wish you got paid more and worked less? Okay. That's everybody. All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good for our survey. But um, many believers don't realize that there's actually a test in scripture. There's a test inside the Bible and you actually take this test every time that you get paid. So every time that you get paid, you are given a test and it's administered to you by God. We're gonna talk about that test today. We're gonna talk about several issues with that test. I'm gonna help prep you to be able to pass the test, all right? I loved when my teachers would hand me a study guide and it had most of the material, if not all, and extra. That way I could study for the test ahead and I knew what to study rather than trying to reread 400 pages of a textbook. And that's what I'm gonna try to do for you today is give you a study guide for the test that's in the Bible. The test is a two-way test. God gives it, but he also allows himself to be tested. And when it's administered by God, it's a test of our obedience and a test of our will. The only test question that's on the test is this, whom are you going to thank for your income? And whether you believe it or not, the truth is that the first 10% of your income streams, that is called the tithe. It should be called the tithe. And what we do with that income determines whether we pass or fail the test. What we do with the first portion of our income demonstrates our priorities. I don't know about you, but when I come home, I have people who greet me. <laughs> Just kind of like when you come to the doors of church, somebody greets you and says, hello, gives you a hug, a handshake, uh, good morning, that kind of thing. Whenever I come home, my girls run. They run through the house, daddy's home. And they come and they give me a big hug. That's the first thing I do when I get home. I don't open up a spreadsheet. I don't pay bills. I don't Hopefully I don't have to take out the trash as soon as I walk in the door. I walk in and I'm greeted and that's the first thing that I do. It demonstrates the priority they have for me and I have for them. So what we do with the first portion of anything really demonstrates our priority. The truth in the word of God is that the tithe belongs to God, not to us. The truth is that we can bring the tithe, but we cannot give the tithe. That's something that we must understand if we want to live a blessed life, if we want to experience God's 
faithfulness to us and his blessing in our life in every area of our life, this one area, and we said it last week, our heart is attached to our purse or our wallet. So he knows that if he can get that, he's got us. The tithe belongs to God and it doesn't belong to us. Go with me to Malachi chapter three. We're gonna dive into the word of God this morning and look at a few verses here in Malachi chapter three to get started. It says this in verse six, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I find this kind of funny. What, what does consumed mean? It means utter destruction. So he's saying, I mean, I'd look at this kind of funny, okay? He's looking at the people of Israel and he's saying, you're lucky I don't change because I decided a long time ago I wouldn't kill you and I'm still not killing you. So be happy about it, okay? So he's trying to tell them, I am the Lord and I do not change. We've used that word before. I'll say it for you again. You'll never bring this up in conversation at the water cooler, but the word is immutability. It means that God is perfect in every way and doesn't need to change. So he says, I'm the Lord, I do not change. O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Verse seven, from the days of your fathers, you've turned aside from my statutes. Not statues, okay, not idols and that kind of thing. Statutes like principles and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you. There's reciprocity there. You return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Or how can we return? Verse eight says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And his answer comes in your tithes and contributions. Remember who's talking in this passage of scripture. He is the God who's introduced himself to them as the God who does not change. Verse nine continues and it says this, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you, all right? So God's got some pretty uh, spicy words that he's delivering through the prophet Malachi to the people of God, and he's saying, you guys are robbing me, the whole lot of you. The whole nation is robbing me. Verse 10 to 12, it says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. In these verses, I want you to take a, a snapshot or have a highlight in your head God's word says, I will pour down a blessing until there is no more need. And he says, I will rebuke the devourer of your crops. Remember, when we talk about the Bible, it was set in an agricultural setting. Everybody was a farmer. Everybody planted their own seed. Everybody got their own crops. And they did even then live in a fallen world. There were pests 
and pestilence. There was locusts. There were different things that would invade the crops. There are things um, like boll weevils and other sorts of pests that would come and they would eat up all of the stuff that was being produced by the plants. And God says, I will literally stop nature in its course. I will stop the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Well, we don't have an agricultural mindset today. We live in a modern age where there's a lot more than just agriculture involved in your daily life. And you're, the only agriculture you might know is what you eat on your dinner table at night. And it came from a supermarket, not from a backyard, okay, in most cases. But we've got to understand he is saying there are things that would seek to devour your crop, your profit, your possessions, and I will stop them. This word in the Old Testament has no personality attached to it. It's not saying the devil. It's literally talking about the options for pests that would come. But we can look at it now in today's day and age and understand there is a real enemy against the people of God, and there is one who would be a devourer. He seeks to steal, to kill, and the Bible says to devour. So we must truly believe that God, the Lord of hosts, is the provider of our harvest and our increase. We have the responsibility to plant, but he always, always assists us in the harvest and he always wants to bless us beyond even the harvest with an increase. If you look at verse nine again, verse nine says to the people, God's word says, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole lot of you. So what is a curse? It's a consequence. It's a bad consequence. So we as God's kids should not be stealing from him and yet he finds that they're living under a curse and a bad consequence in the Old Testament and he says, if you just change your way and start doing it this way, all of everything else will change. That's pretty powerful. So when we disobey, there are always consequences. Sometimes they don't catch up to us until later, right? But they will catch up. And if they don't catch up now, they'll catch up somehow, some way, because there are consequences to the bad things that we do. There are also incentives, or there should be good consequences to the things that we do. When we forgive others, we can expect to be forgiven. When we give, we can expect to be given too. When we have this sort of understanding that there's a reciprocity or a, a recycling of what goes on in our life, whether it's a curse as a consequence or a blessing, we may not see them or feel them just now, but they are real. The point is this, that the Lord owns it all and he's given us stewardship over it. He reserves for himself 10 pennies out of every dollar. 10% of our income he reserves for himself because he said, I have set it apart as a tithe for my house. So if you keep it, you're stealing it from God. But if you bring it, you'll pass the test. So you say, easy, pastor. Pastor, don't jump down my throat. My husband and I, we tithe. 
this message is still for you because it should be an encouragement that you're doing the right thing and that when hardship comes, God is faithful regardless of what you see in the natural. He is faithful. Tithers consistently can say this. We're so blessed. Yeah, we felt a pinch. Yeah, we're not sure where the next thing is coming from. Yeah, we're not really confident of all things that are in this situation, but I'm confident that God is gonna see us through. And he keeps coming through. To the person who's a non-tither, they often say, "Mm, I really can't afford to tithe. They might even have some other objections like, I'm not sure what my money goes to, so I'm not gonna give it. Or they might have other thoughts of, we talked about it last week. They might see somebody with a bad reputation who's on TV shouting about, give money so you can buy them a jet. And so you think to yourself, well, maybe there's an excuse there that I don't have to participate. But the truth of the matter is, is that God lays this out as a principle for everyone. Listen to me when I say this. If you're in this room today and you struggle in tithing, the truth of the matter is you'll never be able to afford to tithe until you begin to tithe. It's just the way that God's system works. So I'm gonna take you through some scripture today and I want you to hear me. I've prayed ahead of time in this message that there would be no walls that go up, that you wouldn't just shut me out and say, oh, pastor's preaching about money, but you would actually try to listen and engage today. Even if some of this might not apply to you, it will give you the ability to stand firm on the footing that you already have. In Joshua chapter six and seven, the Israelites had just seen the walls of Jericho fall down. This is the first city that they're going to defeat. So they get into Jericho, what happens? They march around the city how many times? Bible trivia. Everybody's like seven times. They march around and what happens? The walls come tumbling down. There was no military. It doesn't make sense in a military strategy, but the walls came tumbling down because God desired them to and he performed a miracle. They just saw them fall down, but then he tells them something. He says, watch this. He says, when you go into the city, there are things that I've devoted for myself gold and silver and other things, don't you keep those for yourself. So there are devoted things that belong to God. Then we see Joshua experience a defeat in the very next city. In chapter seven, he goes to a city and then all of a sudden they get like literally slaughtered. They go up there and they think they're going to win the city and they come back, the commanders say, you know what, Joshua, I don't think we need to send all that many. I think we're gonna just annihilate them because they were puffed up and they were excited about what happened in Jericho. And guess what happens? They get defeated. And Joshua, the Bible says, he throws himself down, face on the ground, and he starts whining to God. God, I thought you said you'd bless us. I thought you said you would see us through. God's reply to him is going to shock you. He says this, this is pastor's paraphrase and you can read the whole section later in chapter six and seven. But he says this essentially, I let this happen because the people have broken their covenant with me. They've stolen what belongs to me and they've lied about it. Also, you should know how to get it fixed. 
So he tells them, he tells Joshua how to get it fixed. You will not experience victory again until you find out where these devoted things are and you rectify the situation. So Joshua fixes it in the morning. How about that? <laughs> he says, okay, we're gonna go tent to tent because we're gonna find out who's got this stuff that belongs to God because this is not okay. He promised to give us victory. Now we're seeing defeat. And if we're not careful, we could blame it on the devil. But he says, God says, it's actually you who are to blame because you've been robbing me. Please hear me. I didn't make these words up. I'm just reading from scripture. And in Malachi chapter three, those strong words are delivered with a strong sense of emotion from God. He says, you've stolen from me, you've robbed me. And because of that, you're under a curse. So he obviously doesn't want you or I under a curse, right? But we voluntarily are placing ourselves under that curse because we live in disobedience. So he's trying to help us see how to get out of it. Here's point number one. Point number one is tithing is a test. God is testing your heart. The word tithe comes from a Hebrew word that means tenth. Here's why I think he chose 10%. And we can see that throughout scripture, but sorry about that weird whistle in my ass. We can see that throughout scripture. And I think he chose a percentage because it's fair to everyone. It doesn't matter if I make 30,000 and you make 300,000, 10% of mine is 10% of his because it's the same percentage, okay? Yes, that's a larger dollar amount because he's making more income, but it's a percentage across the board and it makes sense. But the number 10 shows up in the Bible a lot. I am not a kook. <laughs> if you know me, you should know I am not a kook. I am not, <laughs> some of you are like, ah. no, I, I, I don't go looking for stuff that's not there. But I'm telling you, I see a pattern. I asked my mother-in-law recently to help me. Um, she, she gave me some insight because she'd been teaching preschoolers and kindergartners for a very long time. She retired after 30 years, 31 years of teaching. And I asked her one day and I said to her, I said, mom, I call her mom. I don't know if she likes that or not, but I do. And I said, mom, she's probably like, you're the son I don't want. No, I'm kidding. She loves me. But, um, I said to her, I said, mom, could you explain to me? I know that kids, every time Brighton comes home when she's in the, that, that sort of age, when Madeline and Brighton came home, they always were talking about, look, daddy, I see a pattern. Look, there's red, yellow, red, yellow, square, circle, square, circle. They're developing the cognitive ability to be able to spot things in patterns because our life, in fact, creation itself follows patterns. So I asked her, I said, so how important is that? She said, really, it's the building block of everything that we teach because what we're trying to do is not just help them through pre-K or kindergarten or first grade. We're trying to help them start to even understand what algebra is gonna be like and English is gonna be like because they'll understand there are patterns. So when I say this, I'm telling you, I've noticed a pattern in scripture and I'm not just kind of digging these out of nowhere. These are really important to think about. The number 10 shows up in the Bible a lot. And I would say it represents testing. Almost in every scenario that I found, it represents a test. Think about it. How many plagues were brought on Egypt? Everybody say it, 10. 
How many commandments were given to the Israelites? Louder, come on. So that they can hear you in the microphone. All right, good, 10. This is a bit more obscure, but Jacob had his wages changed as the Lord saw fit to test him. The Bible tells us his wages were changed 10 times. That was an evil father-in-law. Gosh, man, that was tough. His wages get changed 10 different times. Think about this. If you know anything about the prophets in the Bible, the book of Daniel tells us that Daniel was tested for a matter or a series of 10 days. There are days mentioned in Revelation. The days of testing are mentioned. They are 10 in number. How many virgins in the story of the virgins in Matthew chapter 25 are tested? 10. Every time I see that, I see that there, are a, there is a significance to how many times. And I think to myself, five might not be enough, but 15 might be too many. So 10 sounds like a good number. 10 is a test. Let me ask you this. How many disciples did Jesus have? <laughs> that was a test. Okay, yes, the number is not 10, it is 12, okay? I was just testing you. So tithing can be seen as a test. Here's something that most people don't realize. It's a two-way test. God is not only testing you, but this is the only place in scripture that I've found where God says that we can test him. God is saying this to his people in Malachi chapter three. He says, I want to open the windows of heaven and bless you. I wanna rebuke the devourer for you, but it depends on whether you're going to thank, worship, honor, obey me, and believe that 90% of God's uh, of money with God's blessing will go farther than 100% without his blessing. So what is actually happening is we give ourselves the opportunity to grow in our faith and in our reliance on him rather than ourselves. This is a significant test that we're given regularly because God's word shows it to be true throughout the Old Testament. It shows it before the law was given and it shows it in the New Testament. In your Bible, if there are red letters, Jesus talks about the tithe as well. And it's talked about literally 500 years before the law was ever given at Sinai. So it's a comprehensive picture of us understanding it's still enacted today. Some people might say, oh, that was Old Testament or that, that was under the law. And thank God we're under grace. We're not under the law anymore. So yes, Christ did bear our sin. He bore our sin on the cross and the curse of the law be broken in regards to our salvation. But that doesn't mean that we can live any way we want to. We still principally obey scripture when it says do not commit adultery. We still obey the Old Testament law when it says thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder, because obviously we know that those things come with consequences and that they are disobedient to God and it's God's moral law that we're breaking. So when we think about that, we've got to understand we can't say those things no longer apply, right? So that argument starts to fall fast pretty quick. It falls short and it's foolishness. Number two, here's number two. Tithing is biblical. 
So you need to know that it's a test and you need to know that it's biblical. A lot of people don't really believe that it's in the Bible, but I would say it's just because they're not reading their Bible. (laughs) That's for people not in this room. Obviously, I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about other people who have said, well, that can't be. Well, it is, but they're just not reading it. Okay, so I wanna show you where it is. Genesis chapter 14. We're gonna talk about the segment that I said just a moment ago where it's talked about hundreds of years before the law. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 to 20. It says this, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high. I want you to see something because we talk about the significance of scripture Genesis, in this passage, in chapter 14, there is demonstrated a picture of Holy Communion. The priest has brought out bread and wine as a fellowship tool for what's about to happen in worship. Verse 19, it says this, and he blessed him and he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And the Bible says there, and Abram gave him a 10th of everything. Now, if you think about this, they're naming him using the title or the phrase Abram. We know him to be Abraham and that comes after the covenant of God is given. In the very next chapter, Abram has given a tenth of everything to this priest. And after he's done that, God ministers to him and says to him, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna call you the father of many nations. I'm gonna change your name and I'm gonna give you a miracle son and he is going to be the one who's going to populate this people that we're talking about. And it happens after Abram tithes. That's really interesting. So this is about 500 years before the giving of the law. And Abraham's a spiritual father. Many theologians, and you might be thinking, that was a really weird name, Pastor just said, Melchizedek. Uh, They actually believe this to be, it could be a person of the Trinity, a physical representation of God on the planet who was meeting with Abram. That's what theologians would say. Because in Hebrews, it tells us that he has no genealogy, this priest Melchizedek. He has no mother, no father, no beginning of days, and no end of life. So Abram is possibly in this moment meeting with God himself or at least a type, a priest who is shown to be someone to give tithes to. Then in Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, Jacob has just had his dream. Anybody remember this dream that Jacob, he goes through the wilderness, he puts a rock as a pillow and he has a dream that something is happening. Angels are what? help me hope, ascending and descending. He's having a dream. He's seeing heaven touching earth. 
and he sees them going up and coming down, touching earth. He's having this dream, and when he wakes up, he basically says, surely this is the place where God met me. I'm gonna call it Bethel, or the house of God. Listen to what he says. He says, and this stone, which I've set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. The Hebrew word there is Bethel, or Bethel. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. I won't shave off a little bit. I'll give you a full tenth. I think about this and I think about what is it that caused his heart to be touched because God didn't tell him anything about money in that dream. God didn't say a word to him about him needing to do this, but his heart was transformed because he had a meeting with God and he had to have a response and he felt that the only true response would have been to give a portion of everything he gets for the rest of his life as an honorable worship act to God. This is pretty incredible. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says this, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse one and two. It says this, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, right? Which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. Can I just tell you, he's saying you're gonna take it to church. Okay, that's our everyday modern American English version. God chooses a place throughout the Old Testament, a place where his name will dwell, his presence will dwell. At first, it's a tabernacle in the wilderness. They don't, it's a temporary home. Then they find a place where Solomon is able to build a temple to God, okay? They get to a permanent structure, but wherever they chose to worship God, that's where his name dwells. So that's where they took their, their tithe, their first fruits. Now listen to me, it was the first because it might not last until the last. Because you got bills to pay. You've got mouths to feed. You've got a retirement to put into and contribute. You've got all those other things to do. But God says, give it first of the first fruits. Then, then we will be obedient according to scripture. Now look at verse 13 of this passage. It's amazing to me that the Bible says this. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. I have brought my tithe. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, that would be the person in the church, in the temple, in the tabernacle. I've given it to the blessing of, or the benefit of the sojourner, the traveler, to the fatherless, because ministry is happening in the house of the Lord. What's received in the house of the Lord is being given to the fatherless, is being given to the widow, according to all your commandment that you have commanded me, I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. We did that on purpose. Thank you, Dana, that was awesome. 
I've not done anything that you haven't commanded me and I've not transgressed. Listen, God, I'm telling you, it's out of my hands. I have given the tithe. I've given what rightfully belongs to you. And then further down in that passage, he says this, after you do that, you can pray this prayer with absolute confidence. Look down from heaven and bless your servant. Because I stand in the place of right position before God, having honored him and worshiped him and trusted him and depended and relied on him. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus said that you ought to tithe, would you do it? I think we all would say yes, right? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus is speaking. He says this. He says, woe to you, Scribes and Pharisees in verse 23, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Can I just be plain with you and straight with you? These jokers back in that day were so meticulous about even receiving the dill and the mint and the cumin that they used to spice up their food. They would tithe off of that. They would say, okay, there are 10 bunches here that were gathered out of the garden. Take one bunch and it's going to the house of the Lord. Take one bunch of this seed and take it to the house of the Lord. They went all the way through and they did all of that. And he's telling them there, You've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So otherwise, you guys are getting it right because you're tithing, but you're not being nice. (laughs) You're not being sweet to one another. You're not playing kindly with one another, as we say to our kids. You're not having justice and mercy with one another. Jesus doesn't say, well, forget about giving your tithe and just focus on the love, mercy, and faithfulness. No, He says, it's a both and scenario, not an either or scenario. So it's a test and it's biblical. Here's number three, and I only have three points. Here's the last point. Tithing is a blessing. In 2 Chronicles 31, Hezekiah is reading scripture and he sees these verses about tithing and they are in, listen to me church, they are in an economic recession, It's very clear. If you read the context, everything is falling apart. They don't have enough money for infrastructure in the nation. There are all sorts of issues. They are living in an economic recession and he finds himself reading the word of God. And when he comes across a passage of scripture in the scroll, he realizes that they're under a curse. The whole nation is under a curse because they're not tithing. They're stealing from God. So let's pick up the story in verse four of 2 Chronicles 31. It says this, and he commanded, that's Hezekiah, commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. So your tithes come into the storehouse. They come into the church. They're used, and we're clear about this. They are used for salary. They are used so that we can have Pastor Cameron and myself on staff. They are used to pay light bills and heating and air conditioning bill. We do have those mundane things to worry about as an organization. 
That is some of the portion that you give goes to that. The other significant portion goes to be able to develop ministry, to support our college ministry, to support our MOPS ministry, to support the outreach efforts that we want to do in our city. It contributes to the life of our church, but not in an us for and no more and hey, let's do this till we die kind of thing, but in an attitude of saying, hey, as soon as there's more, we can do more. So the tithe is given and it's clear it's given there in the church to the priest, to the Levites, we would say into the temple. It says this, and in verse five, in the end of verse five, it says, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. So much was brought that storehouses needed to be built in order to keep all the extra that was coming in. I can see this picture right now. It had to have been magnificent. If you read this whole passage, it literally says they were heaping up the stuff. And the next day Hezekiah comes in and he comes to check on everybody and he sees giant hills and mountains of treasure and produce and animals and money and everything. And he goes, oh my goodness, we've got to build a storage for this. And this will be good because then we can utilize it for the next time that maybe a famine comes or there's an issue that happens or we need to give for a certain reason. So much that there were heaps left over in abundance. Then check out verse 21. I love this. It says this, and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and he prospered. Can I say it in general terms? Everything his hand touched turned to gold. Everything that he did went right and prospered as a result of him seeking his God with all his heart and obeying the word of the Lord in doing all of the things that he did in the service of the house of God. Have you ever heard of somebody dining and dashing? You guys know that, that term, dining and ditching, dining and dashing. You ever heard that phrase? Okay, some of you might know somebody or know a funny story about somebody. You might have been that somebody when you were a teenager and far from God. Um, it's where you go into a restaurant and you eat and then you separate. A couple go into the bathroom maybe, one goes out to the car and you leave. It shouldn't happen with adults, but it does happen. It happens Surprisingly, I just was told a story recently. Someone got busy chatting and forgot to pay their bill. The two ladies in this room are laughing. They're the culprits of this. And the lady had to chase them out the restaurant and say, uh, excuse me, you forgot to pay. It wasn't intentional, but it happens, right? The truth is that some Christians do that every week. They go to church, they eat a spiritual meal, and then they skip out on the check. Don't let it get quiet in here. <laughs> Don't let it get too quiet. Here's the sad thing though. It's not the organization that gets that curse or that's hurt by it. The restaurant when they don't receive the money, if they had a bunch of people come in throughout the week and eat and then ditch without paying the check, they would be shutting down or cutting staff or raising prices or doing something economically to change their trajectory. But 
we in the house of the Lord believe that God just keeps on doing what he's always done. He keeps on being faithful. Even when things get tight and super tough, he's still faithful. We keep doing what he says because we know the system works. We've seen it work for us. So it's not the church itself as an organization that is so much at the disbenefit, at the, at the I can't find that word in my head, but the one who's being hurt by it, it's the church as the people individually who are hurt by it. So the simple truth is, in order to do outreach in our community, funds are necessary. You say, Pastor, you're preaching this whole series on money? Yep, and it's the first time I've done so in three years because we're a practical church. We wanna make sure that we talk about the very practical base of what God's word says in every area. We wanna teach you how to pray. When our prayer team takes their place and the worship team takes their place in just a minute, I want you to step out of your seat and go receive prayer. Confidentially saying before God and those people who serve on the prayer team, I need prayer for whatever it is. Then. Then we wanna talk about the Holy Spirit. We wanna talk about accepting his presence in our life, depending on him. We wanna talk about being a good neighbor because State Farm shouldn't be having the corner on the market, okay? We ought to be the good neighbor that's there and that's there with the hope of the world. So we're a practical church. And so we've got this cycle that we go through and now it comes to the place where we're talking about giving. So don't feel like, oh gosh, pastor didn't get paid this week. So he came out with a one, two, wham, punch. No, it's because you and I need this. I've admitted to you before, I haven't always been faithful in my tithing. I've found it a struggle even as a minister of the gospel. And I found myself having to get a little spanking from the Holy Spirit and get right back into right position and to start doing it right again. There are so many interesting things about the tithe. There are even places that basically says you can borrow it from God, but when you pay it back, pay it back with interest. So if something in your house breaks, you can redeem some of the tithe, but when it comes back to me, you better give me interest. That's what God's word says. It's in the book. There are some incredible things in there. So the simple truth is, yes, ministry takes money, the salaries, utilities, all that takes money. But the reason why I preach a series of messages is like of this, like this, is for your benefit individually to see what God can do. Because the truth of the matter is, is tithing breaks a curse and it rebukes the devourer. How many of you don't want a devourer in your house? You don't want anybody stealing anything. I mean, if you lost $20 and somebody took it from you, you'd be really, really sad. Honey, I didn't even tell you this, but I'll make it public right now. I got a text alert yesterday. It's a good thing you're not right here because I just, I got a text alert on my phone yesterday and said, have you authorized this transaction for $150 using debit card ending in so-and-so with Target? Well, I was at the water park with my wife and I wasn't doing any online shopping. So somebody somehow got my card number. Somebody was trying to devour me. Well, I put a stop to that because it says reply yes or no. And I said, uh-uh, no, it is not me. So they said, thank you. Your card has now been blocked. No other transactions. Please call us during normal business hours. Here's what I did. I put a stop to it right away because it's important to me. 
right? Hmm. It's important to you too. So put a stop to the devourer and you can't even do it yourself. God himself stands in the place of mediating for you against your enemy when you are living in obedience. That is the word of God. And that is where we ought to be living and walking in. So when God's people pass that tithe test, God's blessing pours out. The question is, if you had to give your heart and your wallet a grade today, what would it be? Would it be passing or failing? So it is a test, it's biblical and it's a blessing, but it's a matter of the heart. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to walk out today without a practical example or a step. So if you haven't regularly tithed before, here's your next step. Start with your next paycheck. It's that easy. We offer the convenience of giving online or even via text. We show that every single week on our screen. You can give online throughout the week or in person. You can write your check today and put it in the envelope and use the giving box on the back wall. But that's what you need to do. You need to start with your next check. And then the second thing that you need to do is pray before you bring it. Remember, you're not giving your tithe you're bringing your tithe. Everything on top of that you can give as an offering. But ask God for his help. Tell him, be honest and say, God, I don't wanna be the guy who keeps robbing you. I wanna live in the land of blessing where you bless every area of my life. If I give you my wallet, you've got my heart. God, I'm doing what your word says. So pray before you bring it and then do this. Be consistent. And then for those who do regularly tithe, let me say this this morning. Thank you. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And I say this as the man of God put on this platform to lead this church. I am incredibly grateful for every gift that's been received in this house. From my heart, from God's heart to yours, I want to say thank you. Because what your giving does it doesn't just pay the bills. It helps us to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who need it. Lord, we thank you for the time that we've shared together. God, I pray your blessing would rest on every house who hears this message and applies it. Father, I pray if they are tithing and living in obedience to you, that, Lord, you would honor your word and rebuke the devourer. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I cry out to you and I say, bless them in your name. Your name is at stake. Your word is at stake. And you said that we are to test you. So, Father, I thank you for those who are doing that. And I pray that blessing would be poured out so much that would be left over. It'd be in heaps and they'd have to give it away. Lord, I pray for those who have received this message with a challenge today, that Lord, as they go and they attempt to live out according to your word, your promise would be fulfilled. Give them the grace and strength and resolve they need in order to start in the very next time they receive a blessing. Father, I thank you for this church, for the gifts that'll be received today, for the tithes and the offering. Lord, I thank you for all those who have given. God, I pray your blessing would continue to rest 
on this house as it always has and it always will when we live in obedience to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.